Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton, along with me on this journey back to the 80s is my co-host, Jason Masek. Hello, Jason. Richard, Angela. Oh, here you are. Look what I did. I packed you and your cousin some goodies for the ride up to camp. Wasn't that nice of me? Hmm. Hello, listeners. It's Splatter Cinema Month, where we have the most unoriginal idea to talk about horror movies during the month of October. Our second movie is 1983's Sleepaway Camp, starring Felicia Rose, Jonathan Tierston, and Karen Fields. Written and directed by Robert Hillstick, this movie is rated R with a running time of one hour and 24 minutes. So what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is What's on the Box. Take it away, Jason. I will take it away. Thanks, Bill Bant. I'm going to give a little preface here, being that on the back of the VHS uh, box, excuse me, the blurb was in the form of a letter as if it were written from a child or a teenager to his or her parents while away at camp. And it reads like this. Dear mom and dad, you've got to get me out of here right away. There's a crazed killer on the loose and kids are being scared to death. And a girl was brutally stabbed while taking a shower and nobody is doing anything about it. Your peaceful, perfect place to meet girls has become a slaughtering ground for a bloodthirsty, murdering monster. Wait a minute. I think I hear someone coming up. Sleep away, camp. And the tagline at the top of the VHS box read, the camp's activity for today? Murder. <laughs> so there you have it, Bill Bant. Sleep away, camp. Awesome. So that was what's in the box. Um, so let's move on to our earliest memories. Of let's do it. Sleep away, camp. Jason? I'm excited. Yeah. I know you got a lot to talk about with earliest Yeah, here memories. we go. Here we go. My earliest memories of sleep away, camp are nothing, not a zilch. Zero, because I did not see this movie when I was a child. And thank God, thank all that is holy in this world that I did not see this as a kid. Sweet baby Jesus, Bill Bant. (laughs) Because I just saw this as an adult for the very first time, and I am questioning everything. I'm literally questioning everything in my life right now. I don't know who I am, where I am, what is reality, what is real, Uh, what is the truth? I don't know. Look, immediately, you know this, obviously, because uh, immediately after watching this film, I texted you. It was right after I finished it. I had paused. This film ends on a freeze frame as the final credits roll. And I texted you while that was happening. I actually paused it. And my text read, what the fuck did I just watch? I'll never be the same. I'm changed. This changed me. That's all I'm going to say regarding my, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my latest memory. How about you, Bill Ben? What were your earliest memories? For me also, this was the first time I ever watched this movie. I do remember seeing it in the video store, but it just never appealed to me. Probably because growing up as a kid, I didn't do the sleepaway camp thing. Now, granted, Friday the 13th takes place in an overnight camp. 
And I certainly watched all those, but I was like, well, I already have Friday the 13th. Why do I need another series of movies that take place in a camp? It's not going to be as cool as Jason running around with a hockey mask or in the first one. Of course, it's spoiler alert. It's the mom in the first one. So, yeah, it just it just didn't do anything for me. And then I remember I would see another one and another one there. And I was like, oh, okay. So they made a series of these. <laughs> they certainly did. Yeah, this, I'm, a, I'm a newbie to this also. I love it, man. Yeah, it spawned three sequels? Four. Four. Yeah. I was mistaken. There you go. Yeah, Return to Sleepaway Camp was the last one, I think, in 2008. And did that go, that was straight to video, correct? I think they were all straight to video. Okay, gotcha. Thanks. Yeah, well, there you have it. I was going to get into some initial thoughts here, man. Go for it. Sleepaway Camp from 1983. So, initial thoughts. Wow. 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 I watched the trailer. Honestly, Bill, I think I said this to you earlier as well. I thought this was going to be trash and it is, but it totally isn't. And that's what has me turned upside down tonight doing this podcast with you. I don't know if this is like the best horror film I've ever seen or the worst, or if is it something in between, but I'm confused and it's kind of cool. I I'm going to, a spoiler alert. Here we go. I love this film. I loved it. I thought it was great. It's not right. This film is very wrong. Do you see where I'm already confused? I thought the opening was great. Great music right from the (laughs) the start. It has this kind of, it was kind of a dedication to a mother, I believe, in the beginning. Yes. And then it just opens right with the, the uh, sleepaway camp title with the horror music beginning. And it's like, okay, well, we know this is a horror movie. You know, we've got this traumatic sequence at the beginning with there's a, a boating accident. You have a family that's on Lake Arawak. I'm assuming that's what it's called. And they're enjoying their day on the lake. And then there's some other kids that are water skiing and all hell breaks loose. By the way, the water skiing is happening. The girl that they're towing that's actually doing the skiing is crying. She's like, when is when am I going to be done? And it, that's horrible unto itself. Yes. Her name is Delore, and she's scared shitless. And I'm like, this is already a horror movie. Just unto this, this poor girl is hanging on for dear life. And these kids driving the boat don't give a damn. So I'm giving props to Delore, wonderful actress. Anyway. I quickly discovered that this movie is all about reaction shots. It's holding on to reaction shots. You see the the action, the main action, then we cut back to, to, to a reaction. It goes back to the actual action, then back to a reaction, then the action, then back to the, re- you get it, right? That's what happens a lot in this movie. We get a lot of kids using a fuck ton of vulgarity. Yeah, they say they drop that F-bomb a lot. Yes. Kids swearing all the time. You name it, they say it. Right off from the beginning, we're introduced to Artie, a potential child molester. Cook, holy shit, way, way inappropriate. I mean, this is from the get. Oh, yeah. I'm he's, like, what is going on? He's the poster child of background checks. Yeah. I mean, he says some things that I cannot repeat, will not repeat. I wouldn't be comfortable repeating here on this podcast. It's no bueno. And... So we know who he is right off the bat. He's a baddie and camera kind of pans over. We're introduced to a couple other protagonists in this film. We get Ronnie who I'm calling, Holy shit, short shorts. 
Oh, I don't know. I was like, oh, Ronnie's circumcised. All right, thanks. Oh, yeah. Oh, we get to see Ronnie's dick multiple times poking through his shorts. And I don't mean we get to see it, folks. Okay? Let's keep it clean on this podcast. I'm just saying. It's, there's some there's a lot of homosexual overtones in this film. Let's just say it how it is. And again, all good. All good. I just wasn't expecting how overt some of this stuff was in this movie. It just was like, wow, okay, we are not holding anything back. Let's do this. So, and then, yeah, we get to introduce Tamel, who's the camp director. And uh, he are, you know, he's got the cigar. He's just kind of an older guy and he already looks a little creepy. We're just, it's all kinds of wrong from the start, but this is a slasher film from 1983. Let's uh, let's consider the context here. So more initial thoughts. There's a character named Kenny that gets killed. So of course I'm going, you killed Kenny. Yes. You bastards. And then I discovered really quick that this movie isn't just about holding on reaction shots and multiple reaction shots. It's like this film had this rule of three or rule of four. It's not just the reactions, but the shots of the dead person. So it's the action cut to a reaction of somebody looking at a dead person. Then it's let's get a shot of the gross dead person. Then it's back to the reaction. Then it's back to the gross dead person. Then it's back to the reaction. Then it's back to you get it. That's what this movie is, guys and girls. It's pretty funny. There's some flashback sequences in this movie. Whoa. Whoa. That's all I'm going to say about that. Ricky has a line. He says, it would have been better if there were more guys around. It's kind of hard to get a ball game up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We know, Ricky. We get it. We get it. I'm actually proud, Bill Bant, to say that I think I almost saw this ending coming, but it only somewhat, and it still twisted me up. Uh, We'll get into it. Angela's stare. We get plenty of it throughout the film. Creepy oh, as the all stare. hell. Angela's stare is amazing. I loved it. Wonderful casting. We see why she was cast. Yes. She has these huge, huge dark eyes that just, mm-hmm. uh, and she's unflinching. Yeah. Bill Bant, another thought I had, this is my final initial thought. How the hell was this movie not ruined for me earlier? I'm thinking, did I suffer trauma from seeing this film as a child and block it out? Is that what happened? could possibly be i think yes i think yes so you did not know the ending i did not oh i did i'm not surprised that's what i'm saying how is this not ruined for me at some point just in yeah water cooler talk in grade school Mm -hmm. but i was still trying to figure out how it yeah got to that but i knew what the ending was yeah i was still kind of like whoa yeah for me watching this movie for the first time about Eight minutes in, I was like, oh, my God, what the fuck did we get ourselves into? This is a hot mess. <laughs> and then once they got to the camp, I was like, oh, OK, it's your by the numbers slasher film. And I started to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I was impressed with the special effects. I really was. I, I, I was like, I was like, damn, that's some good work. It really is. Totally agree. And then even knowing the ending and seeing it. It was still, what the fuck? Nailed it. Thank you. And the running time, like I said, is an hour and 24 minutes. It's still about eight minutes too long. Uh Uh-huh. But I actually liked it. Last week, you talked about Children of the Core, and I said how I do not want to watch the sequels. I actually now want to watch the sequels to this movie. Absolutely. Thank you, Bill. 
I'm fascinated. And this is crazy too. So the second scene is the scene with Aunt Martha when she sends the kids off. Right. Jason, I must have watched that scene three more times. I don't yeah. know why. Like the first time I'm watching her, does she think she's in a play? The way she's saying these lines, like the back of the audience needs to hear what the hell's going on. I have it right here. That's gonna. I'm about to talk about it. I am about to talk about it, Bill. Please, please preach, man. Keep going. But talk she about was Aunt so quirky. Oh my God, I have never seen anything like this on screen. In a way, I wish we saw more of her. Yeah, she's in another flashback scene at the end. But that opening scene, the first time, you're, you're just so discombobulated. And then I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I'm like, I have to go back and watch this again. Was there clues here about what you know how this ties into the ending? And then I'm just like, no, I'm really just watching her because she's just so weird and bizarre. I just need to watch her again. Desiree Gould is the actress who portrayed Aunt Martha in this film. And that's the opening quote that I used was from that scene when we were yeah. first introduced to her near the beginning of the film. Rest in peace. We unfortunately lost her uh, just earlier this year. this year. Yeah. Watching the first, I was just like, oh my God, what the hell are we going to into? We're just going to rip this movie apart for the next 90 minutes. But yeah. then I was like, no, I'm actually kind of getting into it. Holy shit. I'm that's this, actually like yeah. this. How did I miss this? It's the strangest experience I've had watching a movie because I think you stated it well, where I was watching it going, is this awful? I think this is awful. And as the film continued on, I'm going, this is brilliant. This is very well written. This is really smart. I see what they did there. This is awful. This writing is terrible. Oh, there's this a lot of shit wrong. Wonderful. This is dumb. This is ingenious. I'm going, I was so confused. And I did the same thing you did. I had to go back and rewatch things. I had to rewatch particular scenes or shots. Uh, some of it was for the podcast just to do a deep dive on some things and, and you know take notes. But watching Desiree Gold do that portrayal and understanding that she's supposed to be insane, it's one of those things where you I don't believe, I think it's purposefully extremely off-putting at first. It yes. was purposefully done that way and played that way. But it's so over the top and theatrical. I wrote down the exact thing that you said. I said, it feels like she's in a different movie or she's in a theatrical play, a theatrical production, and that it's bad. She's as if she's wearing a costume and theater makeup. And I just was confused. I was like, what is she doing? Mm -hmm. Is this a choice? And it is a very, very clear and purposeful choice. And I love it. And it makes sense once you start putting the pieces together, but it, you have, it takes some time to digest. It does. Did you have uh, more initial thoughts or anything else to say about Martha? Yeah, that's it with Martha. But an another scene, I couldn't believe that baseball scene for some reason, which was way too long. I have it. Yeah. And just them just cursing each other out the whole time. Oh yeah. I had like a sense of deja vu where I just like, oh, I miss playing baseball with your friends in an open field oh, sure. like that. That really just brought back like memories. I almost felt like I'm like, have I actually played there before? And I'm like, no, I know, I know I haven't, <laughs> but there was something about it that even though I was just like, Oh my God, why is this scene going on forever? I really like to be out there playing with those guys. I thought the film really captured the camp feel overall pretty well. Yeah. I, I was watching this film with my wife. She did a lot of sleepaway camp 
And she said, yeah, there was a lot of stuff that was very authentic about yeah. it. So she said it definitely had the elements of what a sleepaway camp was like. I guess there's a scene, in the, uh, the first scene in the cafeteria, and the kids are all chanting something. And she's like, oh, yeah, we used to chant the same stuff. Holy crap. And then even like, oh, God, when they're in the kitchen, they had those disgusting fly strips. I have. Yep, yeah, absolutely. She's like, oh, yeah, I remember those. Those things gross me out. I'm like, oh, um, completely. Can you, can you please change those out, please? Oh, my God. Can you please gross. not have them near the, the food, the cooking tools? Like, just put them by the door or something. They were right there in the foreground. Oh, that was nasty. Oh, my God. I wouldn't either knowing that Mel's in there with this freaking cigar and all those flies all over the place. I was just like, oh, that might have been the grossest part of the whole movie. Oh, completely. It was nasty. Yeah. There's a scene after Artie has a problem in the kitchen, which we'll yes. probably get to. And Mel is having a conversation with the second in line, one of the other cooks, Ben, played by, is it, uh, sorry, Robert Earl Jones? Correct. And if you watch, I actually paused it and rewound it because Mel and his cigar, he's talking to Ben saying, okay, we lost our main guy. You're going to just kind of keep it quiet, right? As to what happened to him. And you see, I thought it was a cockroach at first, but there's like a little bug that crawls on. There's the pot. There's a pot uh-huh. behind him. And I was like, oh my God, this is so nasty. They're in the kitchen and there's a roach crawling it. But I think it was just a fly. And then my eye, of course, caught the fly strips with all the flies yeah. stuck to them. And I'm like, this kitchen is gross. Yes. It's disgusting. I'm like, put the fly strips somewhere else. Great stuff. I, it's like really smart mm-hmm. to have that there. It, everything about it is, is disgusting. Yes. This movie's really smart, Bill. It's a really, really smart film. And I don't know how much was planned, how much is by accident, but it came together in such a Creepy, crazy way. I just thank my parents now that they never sent me to sleepaway camp. That's like <laughs> I said. I'll probably call them tomorrow and just say thank you for never subjecting me to that. Love it, man. Anything else with initial thoughts? No, I'm ready to move on. All right. So uh, we are going to move on to favorite scenes or moments. What are some of your favorite scenes or moments from sleepaway camp? I am going to go over a quick scene. And that's the very, very opening of the film. Love it. It took me for a second to catch on actually, because we have boom, sleepaway camp opening title. It's camp Arawak. We don't even know it's the camp Arawak yet. It's just a camp. It's a beautiful setting. It looks like early fall, but it looks like an autumn setting and the leaves are falling and you have the changing colors of the leaves, the trees, you see the different barracks, like the camp housing, uh, these nice buildings, like it's a very kind of, where is Camp Arawak supposed to be actually built? Do we know the actual location the where it was shot? The actual location, I think, is somewhere in New York. Okay, that makes the sense. The state of New York, not <laughs> New York City. But, in the, but state the foliage of- is beautiful, and it's yes. a beautiful autumn setting as the credits are rolling. There's some nice shots. And there's some really beautiful shots. But you're hearing the echoes of campgoers, like the campgoers. So, they have a shot of a basketball court. You hear kids playing basketball or a field and they're playing a sports on the field. You'll, you just hear the echoes, but it's empty. No one's there. Or if it's a shot of one of the, like the dorm, what are they called? The cabins. The cabins. Thank you. Jeez. And you would hear like people kind of coming in and going out. You just hear the echoes of camp goers past. 
and you realize nobody's there. You're just hearing echoes. And then it, the shot finally comes to the sign, which says Camp Arawak. And over that sign is another sign nailed to it setting for sale. And it's the camp is closed. It's a great, eerie, wonderful beginning. Because all you're, you're thinking, oh, okay, here's the location. Got it. We're hearing all the campgoers. The credits are rolling with the creepy music, the great score. And but no, then you slowly realize, oh no, this is you're like hearing ghosts almost, and the camp is dead. It's gone. It's over. Whatever happened killed it, and now it's up for sale. Very creepy opening. Loved it. So that's one of my my first favorite scenes. Yeah, that kind of confused me a little bit too because I think it was me trying to write ahead, thinking, oh, all right, here we go. It's your campus for sale, and now we have Mel, and he bought it, and. This is the first time it's oh, okay. opening in eight years and all this crap happens, but no, it just happens to have a for sale sign on it. And there's really no follow-up to that. No, no. Yeah. See, I took it differently. I, I, yeah, I actually was like, we started at the end. Right. And that was my fault where I was trying to yeah, I got like, write ahead and figure out the story. And I'm like, oh no, that I was totally wrong. The beginning was the end. Right. We we're about to watch what led up to this. Yes. What led it led up to this camp being closed. Yeah, I thought there was some gorgeous shots, too, because then at first I'm like, oh, geez, it's fall. They're going to start this and we're going to know it's in the fall when it's supposed to be summer. And, you know, because I'm just thinking low budget, just cheesy. They just got to shoot it when they shoot it. And then after the fact, I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, I was totally off. Just just sit and watch the movie. Stop trying to analyze it so much. (laughs) Just try to enjoy it. So my first favorite scene was Kenny's death. Oh, sure. What happens kind of throughout the course of the movie is basically like some of the bad campers that they pick on other campers or they pick on Angela or her cousin. Ricky. We've got some bullies. Yeah, they kind of don't end up all that great. And so one of the characters is Kenny and he's kind of been picking on Angela a little bit. And it's nighttime and he's trying to do the moonlit canoe with uh, this other girl, Leslie. And of course, he starts teasing her and talking about how there's snakes and snapping turtles in the lake. And he purposely flips over the canoe to freak her out. Right. So she swims back to shore. Everybody's having a little laugh. And Kenny thinks it's real funny, too. And he ends up, he goes underneath the canoe to yeah. flip it back over. And and I used to do this all the time. I don't know if you've ever done you, I'm sure you've done it in a lake or in a pool, whatever. Um, not a pool with a canoe, but in a lake. Or a river with a canoe where, you, where it's flipped upside down and then you get underneath it and you're right. in the, like the air air pocket. Yeah. And you just kind of get under. It's kind of fun. You do that as kids. Yeah. That's what he does. Yeah. And with great lighting in the middle of the night too. Oh, yeah. Is, which is amazing. You can see him. Yeah. Perfect. And then all of a sudden this uh, head pops up underneath the canoe with him. And of course he recognizes who it is. We as the audience have no idea who it is. And this person proceeds to basically kill Kenny underneath the canoe. So the next day, uh, one of the counselors is out and he's cleaning up and he's all pissed because everything's a mess. And he sees that the canoe is not where it's supposed to be. And he goes to flip it over and we see Kenny's dead body and for small budget movie, right? Whoever did the molds of the actors, kudos. That's amazing work. Totally agree. So you see dead Kenny lying there 
Yes. And a snake. Looks awesome. Totally a gross. snake starts slithering out Water of his snake. mouth and goes across his face. And I was just like, that is so fucking cool. And we see it three times. That's what I keep cutting back to his grip. I was just so impressed. I was just like, holy crap. This looks awesome. And the fact they had the snake come out was just so fucking cool. Totally smart because that's what he was talking about. I loved it. Sorry, Kenny, but your death was cool. It was cool. Totally agree. Great choice. I love it. It's a decent scare because you. it's one of those things, again, that I loved about this movie is that you saw it coming, but I didn't know the makeup effects were going to be that good. Oh, yeah. It was like, oh, damn, that's gross. That's freaking gross. He looks nasty. And then the snake comes out and you're like, damn. Yeah, because he does kind of look like the turtles were kind of chewing on him a little bit, too. Yeah, so that even ties into the, yeah. It's nasty. He looks nasty. And you get the reaction shot from like the lifeguard that overturned the canoe. Mm-hmm. And then back to the dead Kenny face. Then back to the guy. Then back to the dead Kenny face. It's just great. It's like, yes. dun, dun, dun. like if as if you hadn't had enough. It's great. Uh, I wanted to comment on something real quick here, too. And you may have had a different viewing experience for me. And this is an interesting thing watching these movies now as an adult, because the 80s horror movies are different from movies, horror movies of today, of course. You had mentioned like you were overanalyzing this film. I was doing that, too. I mean, we're doing it for the podcast, et cetera, and we're breaking it down. But this movie is really smart in the way that it leads you to feel like you know who the killer is. So I felt like as an audience member, I knew who it was. Because we know that Angela endured a family tragedy in the beginning of the film. There was a boating accident. She lost her father and her young brother. And then cut to eight years later, now she's a teenager. And uh, she's living with her cousin and her cousin's mom, the creepy Aunt Martha, and going to this Camp Arawak, which is where the lake is, where her family tragedy occurred. So she's got issues. She's basically mute. Uh, uh, she's not a mute, but she can't talk. She has, she's traumatized and she's bullied. And then the killings start happening in that particular scene with Kenny, when he's underneath the canoe and the girl pops up underneath the canoe with him. And she's like, he's like, what are you doing here? And we see the dark black hair. We know it's a girl. We're led to believe it is her. It's Angela. But then at the same time, a side story is that her cousin, Ricky, who has been her like protector this entire time, trying to protect her from the bullying, et cetera, has always been around when the bullying happens. And it, you would think, oh, it's possible it's him that's the killer. And in fact, Mel, the camp director, the elderly yes. camp director, thinks it is Ricky and goes after him. So that's happening in the movie. So it kind of throws you these red herrings from time to time and misleads you, even though we're led to believe it. Like, no, it's obviously Angela, this young girl who's got problems. She's going after her aggressors. But you think you know it all until you don't. So I just wanted to comment on that. Like, they make it obvious as to who it is. You just don't believe it's her. But you just don't know everything. You can't. You're like, it can't be that obvious. It can't be her. Right. And is it? Really? Anyway, great choice. It's a fun lead up to what happens and then the payoff with Kenny. I have to say my first 
well, I, I chose yeah the opening, but then my next favorite scene has to be that first scene with Martha. I won't get into it too much. We kind of broke it down. Desiree Gold just overdoing it, playing it theatrically as if she were in a play. Funny enough, there's a flashback toward the end of the film, almost at the very end of the film, where we see her for the second and last time. And the way they light it and shoot it is as if it is on a stage yeah. in a theater. Brilliant. It's brilliant. Because that's how she's portrayed. I can't talk enough about how I love the way they did this. It's stylized at the end. And it's creepy as all hell. And there's a huge reveal in that in that second scene. That's This first one, when we're introduced to her, is just... It's bass shit Looney Tunes, man. She is crazy. And so crazy, you don't know if she's a bad actress or if she's overacting. So the quote I I said from the beginning, she says it repeatedly. Wasn't that nice of me? Hmm? Also, there's a moment when she talks about, oh, I'd forgotten something. And that's why I tied this string around my finger. And she gets lost in it for a moment. And she just goes, oh. And it's the creepiest thing. I've watched the scene several times now, Bill. Who is this actress? She's insane and she's awesome. We'll have to come back to this because there's some clues as to what happens at the very end that happens in this particular scene, I think, or the reveal at the very end. So just this first scene that with Aunt Martha, we find out that she's also a doctor. Yeah, that's what I wanted to know. A doctor of what? That's scary. Before she sends Ricky her son and cousin Angela off to Camp Arawak. She gives them their proof of having had a physical, their physical papers, which supposedly they're not supposed to tell anybody how they got those physicals done. Hmm. Martha's like, even though they know I am a doctor. So did she conduct the physicals? And if she did, why did she conduct them? It's it's so creepy and weird. And you don't know what the hell's going on, what they're talking about. I'll get into that's one of my problems with the film, actually, but still brilliant. Yeah, that was the thing that weirded me out about that scene with her, too, because I'm like, Ricky seems pretty normal. So he must know his mom is batshit crazy. That's a question. Yeah. If this was my mom and then you meet your friends and you meet their moms and you're like, wait, there's really something wrong with my mom. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. But he just seems totally fine with her. Well, then I'm just going to go ahead with what I was going to say. Yeah, go for it. She pulls out the pieces of paper and says, here are, the, here are your physicals that, that have been signed. You need to turn these in. Uh, just don't tell them how you got these, even though they know I'm a doctor. And then Ricky says, no matter what they do, I'll never tell. And uh, I was like, wait, does Ricky know? Does he know everything? That was a question I had too. It's a big question. Because I didn't know if he did know. But then I was like, how the hell do you not know? It's been eight years. It's been eight years. Does he know that obviously his mom is insane? Mm -hmm. And then does he know? Does he know his cousin Angela's secret? Right. And is it that why he's actually protecting her so much throughout? Not just because she's his cousin and he's playing the big brother role, protecting his cousin, but he's also protecting her secret, kind of the family secret here. 
I almost think he doesn't know because I don't think he would allow her to go to camp then. Because it's like, how would you get away with that secret if you send her to camp? I don't know. I need a prequel. Yep. So in this scene, when we're introduced to Aunt Martha, Dr. Martha, and she brings out the physicals to give them to take to camp. And Ricky says, no matter what they do, I'll never tell. Maybe he's means I'll never say how we got the physicals, meaning she had conduct them properly or improperly or whatever the hell they're talking about. I don't know. But Ricky knows something. So great scene. Creepy as all hell. And if you haven't seen this film and you watch it for the first time and you come across the scene, which happens in the first 15 minutes, 10 minutes of the movie, yeah. you're going to be like, what the hell is this? What is this movie? What's going on? Be patient. Just keep watching. That's my recommendation. Yeah. I felt the same way when I saw the scene the first time too. I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? Yeah. And then I was like, I got to watch that scene again. I got to watch <laughs> it again. Oh, yeah. why? Yeah. It's addicting. It's like crack. It's just weird for a low budget horror movie. That she like, comes out like she speaks in such a strange tone as if she's projecting to the audience, like a live audience all the way to the back row. And so she's speaking loudly and her cadence is strange. Her outfit is strange. Her outfit. She looks like she's wearing a costume. Yes. She's got a strange strange. hat and she looks like she's out of time, meaning like not in the, in the, even in the eighties, she looks like she's from, uh, yeah. Something out of the forties. Yeah. What's your next favorite scene, Bill? Uh, it's another death scene. <laughs> you morbid son of a bitch. I know. I love them, though. It was Mel's death scene. So Mel is the, um, I guess, proprietor of the sleepaway camp. And there's a scene right before this where he pretty much is sure that Ricky's the one that's committing these murders. He's ruining his camp. And he drags Ricky off into the woods and, like, Silverback Gorilla beats the shit out of him. I mean, oh yeah, he just pounded him. Loses his mind. Yeah. Oh my god, I couldn't believe they did that in the movie. I'm like, he's beating a kid, a teenager to death in this movie, or at least we're led to believe that. Yeah, I was like, he's gorilla stomping him. That's what it looked like. That's he was stomping him like a gorilla. Freaking horror movie, man. And then he kind of realizes what he does. And goes to run off. And he runs off, of course, right in the middle of the archery field. (laughs) And I love this because it's the classic. He sees that someone's there. He recognizes who that person is. Does the, it's you. Yep. Love it. And then gets the arrow right in the throat. And when you see him come into the archery, you can tell he's got like an apparatus, something on his neck. Uh But I couldn't figure out. I'm like, all right, how did they do the effect, though? It's great. Did they? It's pretty seamless. Yeah, it is. I'm like, did they jump cut it and then just stick the arrow in there? Did that? Was the arrow in there and it popped out? I couldn't figure it out. It was driving me nuts. I, I was like slow in it. If they spliced it together, it it's so seamless. Like it's expertly done. I don't know. Or they did the you know Steve Martin arrow bar thing around his neck and somehow I don't. I couldn't figure it out. I was just like, that's actually pretty good. Oh, yeah. Got me again. You can slightly, like you said, see the makeup on his throat. Like you can see a little bit of the prosthetic their Mm -hmm. makeup. But other than that, it's how they got it in there. Yeah. I don't think he bleeds either. No, but it happens. So, yeah, I mean, you could have gotten a little blood, but it happened so quickly. Yeah. I I just love the classic. It's 
it's you. And yeah, of then, course. And then you're dead right away. It's <laughs> awesome. It's just like, oh, just when you think you're going to know who it is. It happens pretty sudden, too, even though, you, again, yeah, it's a there's very a lot quick. of this stuff in this movie that where you kind of see it coming. I mean, you know it's coming in, but then when it happens, it's still awful. Yeah, he's probably the quickest death of everyone. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Outside of the poor kids in the sleeping bags, which I don't understand how like those murders did not fit in to the narrative. I, I'm going to get to that. Okay. All I right. think I got a little explanation from thanks to Wikipedia. Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, is it satisfactory? No, but it's still an explanation. Okay. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. Right. On my own podcast. So speaking of Mel, I like that you gave him the title of proprietor because I, I think that's more correct. I was calling him the camp director. I think it's both, it could be. he's the owner operator, right? Mm-hmm. So, and this entire time, he's concerned that these deaths are going to kill his business. No pun intended. Oh my God. Or pun intended. He's like, let's not freak out. We don't know if it's murder yet. These are just accidents happening. We don't want all, to, all the kids just to leave all of a sudden now. But we understand that, like we've talked about, Mel thinks Ricky, Angela's cousin, is the one that's offing these kids. For whatever reason, Ricky is just taking out the bullies. So Mel comes across one of the camp counselors, Meg, who has been murdered in a shower. Yep. This is my next favorite scene. Okay. For a lot of reasons. One, because it's so bad, it's good. And I'm going to give out a, a shout out to Mike Kellen, the actor. Rest in peace. This was his final performance. And I'm going to go ahead and say it's an all-time performance because, again, it's so bad. It's good. He's wonderful. He's perfect for this genre, for this movie. It was like he was made for it. And in this scene, he walks into the shower. We know already in the film that Meg has been killed. She's been stabbed in the back while she was in the shower. The killer has since left. Mel walks in and perfect timing. Of course, he walks towards the shower curtain and magically Meg falls out right at that moment. Her body, her lifeless form falls to the ground. She's been gutted from the back. We just see this long scar going down the reach of her back and Mel freaks out. At this point, also, we've understood that he was about to have a date with her. She is significantly younger than him and to be completely superficial, way out of his league. This really attractive young lady, and he's kind of this creepy older gentleman and uh, not a gentleman. He's heartbroken and at the same time thinks that Ricky has now killed this beautiful young camp counselor and is looking down at her. And he gives this mellow, dramatic line reading as it's cutting back and forth, of course, to his reaction, then to the dead body. Him saying these lines, dead body. Him, there she is on the ground, dead body. We get it. And it's gross. Again, great makeup effect. No blood for some reason. No. Just like It might all went down the drain at that point. See, there's good explanation. But he does this. He says, oh, my God, not you, Meg. He did this, meaning Ricky, to get back at me. I had him. I had him and I let him go. Forgive me, Meg. Please forgive me. I'll stop him. I've got to stop him. He won't get away, Meg. He'll never get away from me again. If you thought that was bad, just you got to watch. It's great. And then he does the, the 
almost a soap opera moment where he is about to exit and then he takes one look back at Meg lying on the floor. It's just <laughs> wonderful. Shout out to Mike Kellen, actor who played Mel. So this was a favorite scene of mine. I, I just put, uh, I just wrote this down. You win, Mel. You win. Love that scene. There you go. We got any other uh, favorite scenes or moments? I do. As a matter of fact, I'm breaking the rules. It's okay. I only did the two. It has to be the end. Oh, okay. It's got to be for me. But should I? I don't know if I want to ruin it. No, don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. But again, though, great special effects. It's weird. It's weird. It's effective. I will say that it's extremely effective. The quality, the way it's shot is very smart. And what they had to work with at the time, considering all those factors, yes, it's great. Oh, I'm but, I'm actually talking about Paul. Oh, <laughs> that gotcha. Because that I was excellent. Because I didn't catch it at first. It oh yeah, the way second it's staged, or two. So, yeah, yeah, I was kind of like, oh, he's sleeping. Uh-huh. Oh, whoa, shit. Okay, that's fucking crazy. And oh, then, yeah. and then right. it got crazier on top of it. Yeah, that's where I was going. Oh yeah, with the no, effect, no. like just some no, of the makeup was, effects. So. Yeah, that 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 was weird, but but actually though, I can't I can't give it away. I'll leave it alone. But even we have we're gonna have to get into it though. We'll give it a, we'll give a spoiler alert, but we're gonna have to talk about it. We have to talk about it on this podcast. So? All right. Oh my right. gosh, it makes the movie. Yeah, I guess so. All right. We'll just tell, we'll say spoiler alert, and people can you know. Okay. So do we want to do it now, or do we want to? Just save it for uh right, since we already got into it everyone listening is like, okay, just fucking say it. Yeah. Right, we might as well just say it. So the big reveal at the end is that Angela is not Angela. Angela indeed is Peter. Angela is the brother, not the sister that we saw in the beginning endure the family tragedy. The boating accident that occurs, we know it's a brother and a sister and a father that are involved that are the victims of this accident. And we see that one of the children has survived and we are led to believe that the father and the son were killed and that Angela had survived, but that is not the case. It's the father and the daughter that were killed. The son had survived, but creepy psycho insane aunt Martha transformed him into a girl because she wanted a daughter. She already had Ricky as a son, but she wanted a daughter too. And so she takes Peter and says, why don't you just take your sister's name, Angela, like an angel, you'll be an angel and transforms him into a young girl, but he's still got all of his boy parts. And this is the big reveal at the end. We have Angela sitting, we, her back is to us and Susie and Ronnie are on the scene camp counselors. And they approach her saying, Angela, Angela, are you okay? Oh, thank God we found you, whatever it is. And he's, she's sitting because she's just met Paul there at the waterfront. And it looked like they just got done skinny dipping. Paul is looks like he's laying in her lap, relaxed, almost like taking a nap. And she's like humming a song and maybe caressing his hair. We don't know what she's doing. And then it cuts to the flashback of Aunt Martha and we get the big reveal. And... It does this quick cut right back to the scene with the camp counselors and Angela and Paul and Paul's head. He's been decapitated. Yes. And his head rolls. Luckily, he still has a smile on his face. So that's something, I suppose. It's gross. The effect is great. The makeup's great. 
And immediately Angela stands up hissing and growling and she's covered in blood and that's it. And then we get the full frontal shot. Yep. And we get the great over, I actually under reacting and underacting from Susie and Ronnie. Ronnie reacts with how can it be? My God, she's a boy. And that's in the yes. Susie's covering her mouth. I would be losing my goddamn mind, but they're kind of just like frozen and staring at her. And there's Angela slash Peter just hanging all out. He's got it all out, covered in blood, just going. <laughs> and freeze frame. It goes to like this green filter, negative filter. And then the credits start rolling and you're going, what just happened? Yep. What just happened? Because there is a lot of unanswered questions too. And you're like, shit. Now I have to go back and rewatch this thing, which is what I did. Because the thing is like Ronnie and Susie are actually looking for Angela and Paul because the police are there and there's, they know there's a killer now on the loose in the camp. Right. So of course, Ronnie and Susie are thinking they're trying to rescue Angela, not knowing that she has been the killer. But Angela is not Angela. Correct. That's the reveal. But once again, this is what I liked about the special effect. Because when she turns around and she has that crazy face, mm-hmm. I was like, why the hell is she making that face? It fooled me. I thought it was just her doing that. And I was like, oh, no, that's a mold of her face that's put on that person's body. Right. There's two different shots. So I'm going to get into the fun facts and trivia for a moment, but we see the full frontal shot. So we see that Angela has boy parts in that particular shot. It was a young gentleman standing there, not the actress portraying Angela. It was a young gentleman and they had made a mold of Angela, the actress's face and put it on him. It's a guy standing there nude, but it has her a mold of her face. He's wearing her face mask. Basically. Yeah. It does look weird, but it does. It looks to me, it looks like, Oh, that's why I said it looks yeah. like a wax statue. It looks like a Neanderthal wax statue. It's yes. very creepy. Yes. When you go to the museum and you see him, mm-hmm. but then when it cuts to a closer medium, close-up shot on her, it's the actress. And she's still in the exact same has the exact same expression mouth wide open staring and making that hissing Mm -hmm. noise and it's creepy as all hell the full frontal shot the full body shot with when it's the guy with her mask on or whatever is not perfect but it's still like i said eerily effective yeah because you're so shocked of what you're just like like you don't think about what is happening Yeah. yeah so that ending scene has to be in my favorite scenes man again i go back to how did i not have that ruined for me earlier Mm -hmm. for like a favorite moment for me just the fact that Artie gets his oh yeah absolutely had to so another great makeup effect yeah that was pretty good it was like you spilled all that boiling water on you but there's no water anywhere around you i'm like what did you observe it all i don't know (laughs) so as jason mentioned earlier Artie is the sicko cook at the camp who wants to do things that we're not going to mention to some of the campers. And there's a scene later on where Angela's not eating. So Ronnie's like, Hey, why don't we take you in the back? 
see if there's anything you can find and uh, we'll make something specifically for you. So Ronnie leaves Angela with Artie. And then of course, Artie tries to sexually advance on her. Luckily, Ricky comes in and, and saves the day. So later on that night, Artie's working on the, the dinner. They're going to make all this corn. So he's got this huge, huge pot, three foot high pot. Yeah. Of boiling water. And he's pouring the salt in and pouring the salt in it. And he goes to check the water's okay. So he's up on a stool. And then when he's up there, you see these hands come and grab him and start tugging at the chair. And Artie loses his balance. And, you know, he's like, cut it out, cut it out, cut it out. Eventually, the chair's pulled from under him and he grabs the pot to get his balance. But of course, the pot's hot. And then he literally dumps the pot of boiling water all over him. And then they just show a shot of him on the floor. And he's just got third degree burns. And it's all like pulsating, pussing his skin. Ugh, it's yeah. really gross. Very graphic. And then the next shot is they're carting him away. and He's still conscious. He's screaming the whole time. Yeah. And it's great, too, because I thought to myself, I'm like, why are they not giving him a sedative to take <laughs> care of the pain? And the doctor, the next scene is like, we don't have anything strong enough to give him. So he's going to be in pain. And I was just like, yeah, he hurt me. That was awesome. <laughs> but I was just like, good for you, dude. You deserve that. I'm glad. Oh, I'm he's glad a total fucking scumbag. So that was a righteous kill. Righteous. And well, he didn't die. You know, that's yeah, the thing. That's it's, he gets you know, to suffer. It, it's even better. Yeah, it yeah. is better. He's got to live with that. That's right. So I shouldn't say righteous kill. Righteous maiming. All right. So let's move on to Swiss. I was going to introduce, a, if I may cut you off here. I'm yeah, sorry. go ahead. Uh, I was going to introduce just a little, a little new segment. Oh, yes. For our slasher films. And I'm calling it the kill count. We can call it also kill count slash body count. And I just wanted to go over it real quick because it varies depending on how you want to count. Because according to me now, now you can help me out here, Bill. Okay. I'm trying to figure out how many kills Angela slash Peter had in this film. Okay. So Angela kills Kenny Correct. by drowning. You bastard. Kills Billy. By Hive of Wasps. Right. Kills Meg by stabbing her through the shower door in the back. Yes. Kills Judy with a curling iron. Yeah. Not clear as to how. And I don't think we want to know exactly how. That was also explained in Wikipedia. And I'm just going to say. Some other research and you do not want to know. I'm just going to say she got smothered. I'm going to leave it at that. I imagined a couple of different ways. And then I read. What it was, according to, and I don't know if it was right or not, but what I read was horrible. And that way makes sense because earlier Judy does kind of make fun of Angela by not being maybe mature enough yet. Uh-huh. So I'll just leave it at that. You got to watch the movie to figure out what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So we've got Kenny, Billy, Meg, Judy. That's four. Mm-hmm. Then if you count, there are four kids in sleeping bags that have been murdered with a hatchet. Right. I thought it was three, but I thought it was three. And then if you pause on it, there's like four sleeping bags. And I think again, in the research, it said it was. Four. Yeah, I saw that was four too. We'll say four for right now. Yeah, everybody else says four. So so that's eight. Then we've got Mel with the arrow through the throat. Mm-hmm. That's nine. And Paul, who is decapitated, that's 10. So I count 10 kills. Mm-hmm. Is that, am I missing any actual kills by angela no now if we go body count 
all the bodies that are down, do we include Artie, who we were just talking about, who gets scalded, which, you know, Angela got the best of him. Mm -hmm. And then we understand, too, in the beginning, the father and one of the kids, we know it was the sister, but you know what I mean? The, there was two that were killed in the boating accident. You know, I want to say Artie dies. He gets an infection and it kills him. Let's just say he does uh, horribly. He dies a very painful, painful, slow death. Yeah, he deserves it. So that would be three more. Yep. That would put it at 13, which is what we read on IMDb, et cetera, that the body count is 13. Right. So a little tribute to Friday the 13th. That I like it. I think people are being impressed. No one's impressed. I was going to give a little shout out to the music in this film. If we want to move on to that segment, just real yeah, briefly. Go for it. Did you have anything else with the, regarding the kill count? Sorry, am I jumping ahead? No. I, yeah, we covered everybody got killed. And okay. How they got killed. So. All right. All right. Edward Belus. I just want to say, hey, man, great stuff. Is there some weird moments? It's very, very 80s horror flick. I think it fit the genre perfectly. It's part of this. It's weird. It's just everything about this movie is weird. And I thought the score was great all the way through the ending titles. And what just the, you know, when people get killed and stuff like that. I mean, it's just right in line with 80s horror films. Oh, yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Edward Belos did the music. Thanks, Ed. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so then we're going to move on to the next segment, which is Swiss cheese. And as a special sleepaway camp tribute, our Meg and Susie's complaint department. And the reason we call this Swiss cheese is because... Although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. So if it does not file under Swiss cheese, we'll just have to take it to uh, Meg and Susie at the complaint department. That's right. What do you got for Swiss cheese? Or complaints. Yeah, I was going to say real quick, we are calling it Megan Susie's Complaints Department because in the film, when we're introduced to Megan Susie camp counselors in the girls' cabins there, they actually say, if you have any complaints, you can file with Megan Susie or something to that effect. Yeah. Right? I'm like, oh my God. Or the we're with the, we're the complaint department. Thank yeah. you. Yes, Bill. Thank you. I was like, uh-oh. Hope they didn't copyright that. 
<laughs> so here's my one hole. I got I got a I got a hole. It's a big hole. Go ahead. I'm gonna describe my hole to you, Bill. Go for it. Angela is not a boy. She doesn't even look like a boy. She's not, she looks like Eleven, the character Eleven from Stranger Things, and talks like Newt from Aliens. She's not a boy. That's my home. That's my hole. That's my thing. She doesn't look. Yes. Everyone else wearing those shorts, mm. they're not leaving anything to the imagination. No. Got a lot of short, tight, short shorts. Yeah, thing. there's no way, unless she's doing Buffalo Bill and tucking all the time. <laughs> right. uh, it's a dead giveaway. She really is a girl. But I've got plenty, plenty of uh, complaints to file with the, the Megan Susie's complaints department. But that was my my big hole. What did you got? You got something for the Swiss cheese? Yeah. Um, the one we kind of talked about was like, how did Ricky never know? Or did Ricky know that Angela was? Yeah, I meant to, I put that in my complaints, but it is because it's such a question and I'm not sure, but I agree with you. I agree with you. So my, my one Swiss cheese is how many times the cops come out there? At one point you have to shut that camp down. There's something wrong. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just negligence alone. Okay. Artie is kind of an accident, but then you kind of find the dead body under canoe. Someone dies. I was like, uh, yeah, there's something wrong here. You got to shut down. Even if the deaths feel unrelated and or random in, in how they die, he's still going, we got to let's just press pause. I mean, think about how many times you've ever heard about a tragedy happening at a camp like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hear more about at an amusement park than I do at a camp. Sure. So you would think if someone died at a camp. If multiple deaths occur within a few days. Yeah. At a camp. Everybody, you gotta, yeah. yeah everybody's right. all right. Yeah. That camp is closed. Sorry, Mel. You got to put that for sale sign up. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. So that's my, that's my one Swiss cheese. So what do you got for uh, Megan Susie's complaint department then? All right. Bill Bant, here's my number one complaint. Mm-hmm. We can talk about this a little bit at length, not spend too much time on it, hopefully. My number one complaint is that the beginning of the film, the boating accident scene, I feel required just a little more exposition, just a few more lines of dialogue to give it a little more context, because I think this movie is really smart. And I believe this, my complaint, this actually applies also to probably that first scene with Aunt Martha, meaning that if we just had a little more, the rest of the movie would even make more sense. You wouldn't be quite as confused and or feel like you need to go back and review everything to see how this all happened. Because it is really smart, as in you watch the opening, like it's all there. In the little dialogue, that's actually, I mean, all the facts are there. Here's the giveaway in that boating sequence is when the accident happens, the motorboat runs over the dad and clearly one of the kids, the only survivor you see, it's clearly the boy that's flailing about in his life jacket. He survived. Right. So, you know, it's there. Yeah. So I think that's really smart, but then they lead you down a different kind of path. But there's some confusion as to like, who is Aunt Martha and who's their cousins? Because you're at the beginning, I was like, oh, wait, is Ricky the brother? Did the, both kids survive? But Ricky's her cousin. And they actually briefly touch on it in that opening scene when they're on the lake. So supposedly, I guess the dad 
and Martha are brother sister or maybe brother in law sister in law? Yeah, I, I thought they were brother sister. Okay. Yeah. Because Angela and Peter are the kids with their dad, John, I believe is his name. Mm -hmm. And they're playing around on the lake on their little sailboat, goofing around. And then the other kids on the motorboat and the water skiing, they run over them. But there is a discussion of the Aunt Martha, or they actually, Lenny, who's on shore, calling to them, says, hey, Doc's coming soon. Doc's coming soon. That's Martha. And they say, oh, is... See, that's what I mean. This is what I'm talking about, Bill. This is like gives me chills because I love this. Type I miss that. Yeah, you got to watch it again because Lenny is on shore, and we learn in a flashback later that Lenny is actually John's lover. They're in a homosexual relationship. Yeah, why? That's a whole. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, this is where your mind gets blown in this right. freaking movie. But in that, op- this is our cold open to the movie. Is this whole incident that happens on Lake Airmark, Mac? So the dialogue explains that these two little kids are the son and daughter of John. They're with their father. And there's the discussion of Aunt Martha. And then Lenny on shore says, hey, Doc's coming. Doc's coming. And then it cuts back to the father and the kids out on the lake. And they say, oh, is Ricky coming too? And his dad says, no, he's with his father. Okay. And Ricky is the cousin. Right. Martha's slash Doc's son. But Ricky's with the father because the father has left Martha. He left her. That's why Martha went insane. Her husband left her. Does it all kind of add up now? Yeah. I think because when that scene opened and you had those two kids talking, I'm like, oh, my God, these are the worst little actors ever. I kind (laughs) of was tuning out dialogue at that point. It was just kind of watching. And then I knew... I was like, oh, as soon as the boat flipped over, I was like, mm-hmm. all right, these boats are somehow going to collide, which like, even if the boat wasn't there, they still would have ran aground and maybe gotten themselves killed because it wasn't like the boat was in the middle of the lake. It was near the shore. Like right. you, you could swim like 20 feet. You'd be to the shore. So the fact that like you were that stupid went that off course. Oh yeah. No, that's all ridiculous. How the actual accident happens. Yeah. 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 I think if they were more, in the middle of the lake, it would have worked a little bit better for me. I think I was just there. I'm just like, all right, just let's just move past this scene quick. Right. <laughs> and then I got so caught up in the whole Martha scene. I totally forgot everything that happened. I'm glad you explained that all to me. Now it makes Absolutely. Sense. So when you go, so no, I got to watch it yeah. again. Shit. Yeah, I know you got to watch it. It's crazy, but this is kind of, we were talking about another podcast earlier that had done this film. And it was hilarious, but they had a similar issue where they're trying to figure out the familial relationship, the familial relationship, who's related to who and why and what and where. Well, it's actually explained, but you have to pay attention. And that's my thing is if the opening sequence, that cold open on the lake had been a little clearer, if there was more clarity with a couple of lines of dialogue added, a little bit more explanation a lot would make more sense because then when we're in, then it's cuts to eight years later and it's Martha's house and Ricky and the cousin were like, wait a minute, what, who's who again? And who are they? What happened? It's a little jarring and we're mm-hmm. trying to put the pieces together and then everything unfolds and you're like, and then you see the flashback of those two little kids uh, spying. They open a door and they catch their dad having sexual relations with Lenny. And we're like, Okay, what does that mean? I have no idea. But 
when you go back to that opening, you're like, oh, it was all laid out for us there. Anyway, it's smart. It just needed to be clear. That's my complaint. Like, because <laughs> if it was just this much clearer, they put in a little more clarity, it would have been even more effective with all that happens. So that's my first complaint. My second complaint is that son of a bitch, Artie, that child molester prick, scumbag, who's the cook. He has that incident in the walk-in in the kitchen. He has the incident in the walk-in because he's about to molest Angela yes. and he's taken off his belt. And luckily Ricky, her cousin comes in to save the day at the last second. And then Artie throws him up against the shelf mm-hmm. and they all leave. The kids run out and Mel and the other cooks are in the kitchen going, what the hell just happened? And Artie's like, I don't know. Well, Artie walks out. He's still buckling his belt right in front of them. Right. And they don't freaking say anything. Mel kind of is like, hmm, something funny business going on. Like he has that look on his face. Right. But I'm like, come on. Like, I thought that was just a big mistake. Like Artie. Yeah, he turned a blind eye because he's like, he doesn't want to hire, find another cook. Disturbing shit. But he was still putting his belt on like in front of him. I'm like, God, that's way too obvious. Yeah. Mel, you get what you deserve too. What, what do you got for complaints, man? Uh, it's kind of funny because most of the stuff we kind of went over already at some point. But I still have the unanswered question of why was Angela doing this? Is it just the trauma of being back at the camp? Is she seeking revenge for something that happened eight years ago? Because, I mean, nobody's there. Right. It's a great question. Innocent people are paying the price for what happened. I mean, granted, the same thing kind of happens in Friday the 13th where, you know, Jason drowns in the lake and then the mom's killing all these other people had nothing to do with that incident. Yeah, I think the defense is insanity. Yeah. What's the, yeah, it's a great point. What's the killer's motivation? What's the, yeah, what's the, yeah, I just think she is insane. Mm -hmm. Too much had happened to her between the eight years as well. You know, there's the initial tragedy, which caused trauma, but then also what her aunt had done to her. Yeah. I mean, she's clearly, she's almost catatonic. Yes. That's a good way to put it. We just kind of have to go with that, which was enough for me. I, it's a great question, Bill. It really is. It's like, cause you want, you kind of want your killer to have a why what's, what's her why? Mm-hmm. Why is she doing it? She's crazy. Not that an explanation would have probably helped, but yeah, I just felt like when it ended, I was like, wait, there's unanswered questions. And that was one of them. It was just kind of like, why are you doing this? And then let me just ask this question too. What was the deal with the flashback with the the kids on the bed? Did that make any sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. I think what the, so this, this movie is, is disturbing on a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. There's sexual identity, gender identity confusion in this movie. Yes. And I don't mean we're confused as an audience. I mean, the characters are confused, like Mm -hmm. especially Angela. But something happened because when they were kids, this is how the movie is portrayed. This is in no way, shape or form a viewpoint of mine or Bill's. This is what happens in the movie. This is what you're led to believe, or this is my interpretation of the movie as it is, is that these young kids, when they walk in on their dad... I think they're kind of spying on it. Like they, yeah, the doors they're open. They, yeah, they're they're seeing their their dad engaging in a homosexual relationship, which is fine. It's just that, but they do see that, and then 
Then there's another flashback that follows that, where you have Peter, the young boy, about to touch Angela. And it's as if they had just seen adults engaging in a sexual situation. Now the two little kids are curious and experimenting or such. And that flashback connects to what Angela is because she's making out with Paul on the beach and Paul is trying to take her shirt off. And then Angela has that flashback to her childhood, but it's, this is where it gets confusing because it's actually Peter. Right. But the fact is it's all alluding to the fact that Angela slash Peter is confused about her sexual identity. Okay. Or and or gender identity. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It's complicated. Like it is. It's late. Like there's some heavy shit going on. Yeah, I know. In this movie, like, like they they lay it in. Like and it's not totally explained, but it's not healthy stuff. No. And let me be clear. I'm not saying that the homosexual relationship, anything about homosexuality, like that's all fine because of what happened to this particular person, this young child. As she's developed and then transformed by her aunt, she's confused. She's really confused as to who she or he is. Does that all kind of make sense? Yeah, that that which helps would a lot. lead to would feed into her trauma, would feed into her psychosis. Okay, I buy it because I'm almost like you almost don't need it, but I guess in a way that's their explanation. This movie takes some chances. Yes. There's some, it's a risk. There's a, this is a risky, weird, strange movie. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel weird. It just does. Like, yeah. cause it's such a strange blend of sexuality, identity, violence, gore. There's bullying. Oh, the yeah. the child bullying. molestation. You have Mel beating the crap out of Ricky at the end. Yep. Spoiler alert. Ricky survives. Thankfully. But I mean, there's some Barely. dark shit in this movie, man. Mm-hmm. The only thing that, and I'm going to say this in a weird way, is that like, as horrible as what happens in it, there's a campy element to this movie, especially watching it now. Yeah, that uh, takes you out of it a little bit, so you're not going. It's not so gritty where you're just going. This is too much. It's campy enough where you're like, yeah, this is fake. This is not real. So you know it's somewhere deep down, you know, but it's still awful, right? Oh, yeah. On a lighter note, I'm going to go back to what you're saying. Here's a complaint of mine. Is that damn softball or some baseball scene with the kids? That's fun, nostalgic. But yeah, I don't need to see two innings of this. What are we doing, guys? Why are we watching two like full innings of this game? What was that all about? And I have to be honest, man, that baseball scene, does it rival the Top Gun volleyball scene as the most like homoerotic? scene of all in all cinema i think top gun still <laughs> i mean granted that's the right answer that is the correct answer yeah well done i mean grant everyone's wearing the the super oh you got some shorts. tight you got some short shirt like some cut off jeans and, and half, you know what uh, the, the, the half shirts that's that's big in this movie oh yeah that's big in the, this with, movie. The, with the hairy chests oh yeah i was like showing man. some skin yes they're definitely showing some skin I just wanted to, I had to ask you that question straight up. You know? Yeah. Still Top Gun volleyball scene. All right. Two words. Fake mustache. <laughs> For sure. Just 
awesome. At first, I thought, I'm like, are you kidding me? They went Groucho Marx and literally just painted something on his face. I was like, how do you do those amazing head molds? Right. And then have the worst looking mustache. It's so obvious. You literally can see it from hundreds of feet away. I mean, because it's you can see it in like a master like wide shot. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, that guy has a fake mustache on. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, because there's that one shot where it's like full on him and the way it's lit, because it's like reflecting off his face. That is terrible. So we're talking about uh the police officer. Frank. Yeah, Frank the cop. It's played by uh Alan Brenton, who I guess supposedly had shot his scenes. Early in the film with his natural mustache, and he shaved to do another part, and they asked him to come back. And of course, he has a mustache, so yeah, we'll just put a fake mustache on him. But it's like this flat, it's like from a Halloween store. That's how bad it is. Yeah, it's oh, just totally awful. But <laughs> in one great. shot, it literally looked, I thought they had like gotten shoe polish and just. Yeah, you think he's, he's just, he like dressed up as a cop for Halloween. Yeah. He's just wearing it. He's literally wearing, like, actually wearing a costume within the movie. Yeah, it's so bad. It takes you out of the seat. It's truly laughable. That's what, that's what's so freaking confusing about this movie, man. There's some truly terrible, awful things that are deserved to be made fun of in this movie. But then after you watch it as a whole, I'm going, man, that was good. <laughs> no, it's so weird. So weird. I don't, I mean, really, I, I thought for sure, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to be able to sit through the rest of this. And then all of a sudden, like, I'm actually starting to enjoy this movie. What is wrong with me? Yeah, right. I love that when uh, Ricky and his buddy Paul walk into the, like, the cantina area the where they have the socials and the commons area. Yeah. He walks in like it's a saloon. Like, they walk in through the swinging doors and Ricky's wearing a cowboy hat. Mm-hmm. It's freaking hilarious. They're, like, 13 years old. And they come in. And then Ricky gets into a fight with Kenny and Mike and the rest of the gang, which is literally the worst fight ever. They just all gang up on like a you know, pile on one oh, another. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, this is even worse than uh, Bert versus Malachi in Children mm-hmm. of the Corn. Like one of those just terrible oh, fights. Yeah. In the scene in the girl's cabin with uh, the little little uh, tramp, Judy, yes. uh, she's bullying Angela. And she says, how come you never take showers when the rest of us do, huh? You queer or something? Nice. Very nice, Judy. Not nice. And I was like, here's, here's, I obviously make a mistake here by saying this, but this was like a note I made before the movie was even over. I didn't watch it. I'm like writing this down going, Judy, if she was queer, she'd most likely want to shower with you, you moron. Right. And then the end happens. You're like, oh, that's why she didn't want to shower. Yes. I like Judy has to wear a shirt with their name on it in case. Oh, yeah. Has amnesia. She forgets her name. Yeah. Oh, I'm Judy. Oh, you know what? Another scene that just went too long and I checked out was when they were pulling that prank on uh, Mozart. Which, which, uh, the butt cheek one. Oh, yeah. 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 That was stupid. Yeah. I was just kind of like, where is this going? And then it happened so quick and you're just like, that was dumb. Right. That could have got cut out. The shaving cream thing was funny because I'm like, oh, yeah, people do that would do that all the time but the butt cheek thing i was just like this is taking way too long and the payoff sucked good call good call like i said hour 24 minutes i'd cut about seven or eight more minutes out 
It'd be from good to amazing. Hey, man, I totally agree. You are the one. I give you credit for this. I've done this in podcasts previous. Is that you're like, can we take a bad movie? Let's find a, a bad movie that we could be potentially really good. I think this is a really good movie that could actually be remade really great. Really great. And I already think it's great in such a fucked up way. Yes. Sorry for the F-bombs, ladies and gentlemen out there. So nitpicky stuff after Billy's death by wasps. Ronnie and Mel, Ronnie, uh, short shorts, muscles, Mr. Muscles, Ronnie is, you know, we've, I don't know how many times we've seen his dick at this point popping through, you know, <laughs> his shorts and his stretchy pants. Uh, Ronnie and Mel. God are talking about consolidating the bunks and stuff in cabins as if had kids already left at this point. Do we know? I don't know. Do you remember in that movie? They're talking about, Oh, we got to, I do remember that we got to get, we, you know, we're short a bunch of people. And I'm like, no, you only three people have died so far. A couple people. I'm like, what are you talking about? All these people. I'm thinking that may have been like either a deleted scene or something was missing there. Like as if some of the kids were leaving the camp at this point, Yeah, like a bunch of them had left. Camp counselor uh, Meg, who's a total bitch and bully, she's still kind of hot in this movie, and she's hitting on eighty-year-old Mel. What what what's going on here? He's oh yeah, because there was that first 80, scene, but you know what I mean. When she goes into the cafeteria and sees him, and the way that they like interact, that I'm like, wait, are, are they a thing? What the hell? Yeah. And then when she's like, oh, I'm off tonight. Are you kidding me right now? I mean, good for you, Mel. You still got it, buddy. Yeah, but. Oh, then this comes to my next scene. Meg's death. Here's a complaint I have. This is pretty gory. It's it's horrible because Angela stabs her through the shower wall in the back and then kind of guts her from the back, basically runs the knife up. But it's so obvious that the walls look like a cardboard wall. It's literally yeah. shaking. Like <laughs> The wall is like it's cardboard. So when she's cutting the knife up or oh, yeah. up or down, the wall is like flimsy. Yeah. <laughs> so that was one of the poorer effects. I, yeah, I was a little disappointed by the tension in that one. I think they mm-hmm. could have that scene. I wish they'd drawn out a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. I didn't, I didn't need to see Mozart's face in the camper's ass, but I would have liked <laughs> to see a little more tension with the Meg killing. So, yeah, I, here, I had the same question you had earlier, Bill. Why did Angela kill the kids in the sleeping bags, bags yes. with the hatchet? Why do that? Well, according to the research, supposedly those are the kids that threw the sand at her and Ricky after Meg. Yeah. Meg had thrown thrown her into the water. Oh, you know, Ricky comes to her rescue, gets her out of the water and is holding her. And she's kind of slumped over a little bit and they're walking back. And those kids throw the sand at them. Gotcha. That's damn. I could have watched that movie 30 times. I never would have picked up on that. Yeah, I just it was like, okay, that makes sense, but it's so subtle. Like it's yeah. just, yeah. I mean, the sad but thing I'll is, just you know, go with same it. Same fact, I might watch this movie twenty eight more times. Totally. This we got to get some people together, man, and watch this. Yeah, this would be another great one to have party for. I think that's it. I think we went over the rest of. Uh, yeah, most of the stuff we already issues. talked about yeah, already. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so we can move on, man. All right. So let's move on to hey, it's hey. an actor. All right. So in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. It's, hey, it's that actor. Jason, who do you got for, hey, it's that actor? I'm going to go with 
Cousin Ricky. I'm going with Jonathan Tiersten. So thought he was pretty good throughout this movie, you know, as the kind of the big brother role. He's the cousin of Angela and he's always looking out for. According to his IMDb, he worked a little bit. I mean, he after Sleepaway Camp, he was like, I had an uncredited role in like an after-school special. Then he actually did an ABC after-school special. And that was like 1987. And then the dude disappears. But guess what? In 2008, Jonathan Tiersten comes back and returns to Sleepaway Camp. How awesome is that? He like comes like, wow. Yes. And then works like intermittently and still is working. Can't wait to watch it now. And I have to say that here's one of my and his IMDb. You got to look this up. The titles of some of these films, because he's like in these other horror films, too. This one's awesome. Toilet Zombie Baby Strikes Back. Is that I mean, it's a sequel to another one or is that I, the actual I first? I didn't I don't I don't know if I saw the first one unless could be. I got to maybe I got to go back and look now. Damn. Toilet Zombie Baby Strikes Back. I want to see this movie. Jonathan Tiersten played Ricky. You go for your, hey, it's that. Or I'm going to look it up. I'm going to okay. see if there was a first toilet zombie. So mine was uh, Christopher Collette, who plays Paul. Um, it was his film debut. Um, he is probably most remembered for his work on 1986's The Manhattan Project, which we should do a pod at some point, where he played another Paul, Paul Stevens. And uh, so he was the teenage prodigy who builds an atomic bomb with stolen plutonium to win, to try to win the 45th National Science Fair. Uh, That movie starred uh, John Lithgow and Cynthia Nixon. Um, He is still working today, mostly doing voiceover work for such cartoons as Sonic, Pokemon, and G.I. Joe. My hate actor is Christopher Collette. Awesome. You know, you surprised me, Bill. I thought you were going to go maybe with Robert Earl Jones, man, who was, uh, I believe, one of our, if our, yeah. hey, it's that actor for uh, Witness. Yes. Which is one of our early pods. Yep. Robert Earl Jones, who plays the cook, uh, Ben. Robert Earl Jones, of course, is the father of James Earl Jones, Darth Vader. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. So I did a little research here on Jonathan Tierson, who plays Cousin Ricky in this movie. Toilet Zombie Baby Strikes Back is... Looks like standalone. There was no oh, okay. toilet zombie baby. Because I would hate to watch the second and not see the first and be totally right, confused. Right. So there's just, yeah. Awesome. All right. So moving on to facts and trivia. What are some of the facts and trivia we have for Sleepaway Camp? Sleepaway Camp. Hey, by the way, I do that voice because watch the trailer for this. It's that he's a, I don't know who the oh, uh, right. I know you're talking about. voiceover guy that he did a lot of those horror yes. 80s horror trailers awesome just awesome here's a little fun fact as a child writer director robert hiltzik actually went to the camp used in the film that is cool so you mentioned uh fake mustache guy alan brenton so supposedly the local police lent him the uniform that he wears in the movie along with the gun and holster well when alan went to check the gun it was loaded. Oh, luckily there wasn't a shooting scene in the movie. So yeah, he had to return the gun so they could take the bullets back. Yeah. It's an actual police uniform from the, um, Glen Falls police department. There you go. Pretty scary. No, bueno. Okay. So Felissa Rose, who played Angela, she was only 13 at the time 
Yeah. Which is unusual for a feature film because uh, the studios usually cast the actors that are, you know, 18 and over look younger because of restrictions on using actors under 18 for extended mm-hmm. hour shoots. So as it turns out at 13, she was too young to see her own movie in theaters. So uh, Karen Fields, who played Judy, she really didn't do much after this. She actually did do a short film called Judy that was kind of like a pseudo sequel to Sleepaway Camp. But she actually did some voice work for The Simpsons in the first season. So she actually played the voices of some of the other kids that Bart hanged out with in season one of The Simpsons. Cool. But yeah, she didn't really do that much other stuff. So I was like, this is Judy we're talking about, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, I think she only has. This was like her only acting. Yeah, I think it's the only feature. Right on that. IMDb, at least, I think. And then she did the, yeah, the, the short film called Judy. There you go. So we had talked about the climactic scene. Uh, once again, ladies and gentlemen, spoiler alert. Fast forward if you'd like. Climactic scene was accomplished using take it or leave it type of research. Yeah. Uh, but the climactic scene was accomplished using a nude man wearing a mask cast from Felissa Rose's face, the actress who played Angela. The thin man who stood in for Angela was a college student who needed to get drunk before he was able to do the scene. Nobody knew who the man was. Decades later, he is still unknown. I can see that. I don't know if it's true or not, but I like it. I like it. Because there's actually a cool story, because I think, I, I can't believe I'm tying in Star Wars with Sleepaway Camp. But at the last time I was at the Star Wars convention, they were doing a whole thing about the the cantina scene. And they were talking about all the actors that were playing the different characters in the cantina scene. They have no information. They have no idea who the guy is that played the bartender. Like the one human you kind of see in the film. From A New Hope, from the original. Yeah. Oh, wow. Really? They don't know who he is. They don't, you know, they don't even know if he's alive or dead anymore, but they had no information. Like they knew all the other characters and who played them and all that kind of stuff. But the bartender, they had no idea. But he has speaking lines. Is he not I know. credited? I don't know. We got to look at, how do we not yeah. know this? Wait a minute. Is he, if he's uncredited, then maybe, but he's got it. Yeah. He's bartender. got lines. Yeah. That's what so, they're talking about. They okay, we not been able to track him, track him down since that movie. That's weird. So some kind of, that's what it kind of reminded me of when I read that. Yeah, no kidding. All right. So my um, last fact and trivia is, so the infamous killer hands that we see throughout the film that was supposed to be Angela is actually Ricky himself, Jonathan Tiersten, because it was written in Felicia Rose's contract that she would not do any of the killings on screen. Her mom was on set the whole time. So they had Jonathan be the stand-in and do all the killing. And it actually kind of helps because then it kind of throws you off. Because you would know right away if you saw her hands and like, oh, yeah, that's definitely a female. So mm-hmm. it, it worked out for them. Agreed. Uh, anything else for facts and trivia? That's all I got. So moving on to box office. So this movie was released on November 18th, 1983 in limited release in New York. And then eventually in Los Angeles in 1984. So the budget of the movie was only $350,000. Crazy. Yeah, I don't even know what to say about that. It's insane yeah. if that's all correct. Those numbers are correct. So probably adjusted for inflation, it's probably about $3 million now, which is still like nothing to make a movie. Yeah. But I couldn't find true numbers for box office gross or how it did in the theater and stuff like that. But there was a story when it was released in um, New York, it was doing better than Barbara Streisand Yentl, 
Oh, I think it was one of the Amityville horrors. It was actually doing better in New York than those two movies, which huh. Amityville was a you know franchise at the time, and Barbara Streisand, who's yeah American icon. But yeah, it was doing better than those movies. Uh, moving on to reviews. When growing up in the early 80s, we loved catching at the movies with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear their reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. Sorry, they never reviewed the movie on the show. Surprise, mm. surprise. But on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter score of 78%. Ah, yeah. see? And there even, you go. And even its IMDb score is 6.3, which yeah. isn't too bad. No, not at all. Okay, we're not the only ones that are crazy about this movie. There you go. So, uh, so moving along to additional thoughts and questions. Yeah, that the perfect segue into my additional thoughts because I honestly feel like this movie is really smart. It's just so batshit bananas in moments you you get distracted. So that's what happened. But if you're paying attention, this movie is really smart. I I, I again. We'll reiterate, I felt that the cold open needed a bit more explanation or clarity, but it's all actually right there. This movie is so confusing because there's some terrible acting and there's some wonderful acting. There's a couple cheesy effects and there's some wonderful, wonderful, great makeup effects. Mm -hmm. There's some wonderful writing in this movie. There's some awful, awful writing in this movie. And it creates such an insane vortex that you get sucked into because you don't know what to feel. And it's off-putting and it's strange and it's dark and it's violent and it's campy and it's goofy. And Angela's stare goes right through your soul. And then there's the reveal and you're left with a gut punch and you gasping for air. I, you, I, I don't know what else to say. So those are my additional thoughts right there. Uh, my questions. Hey, do you have a favorite movie, Bill Bant, where the protagonist or maybe antagonist poses as the reveal is that the antagonist or protagonist is of the opposite gender? So the two movies that I think dressed to kill wasn't John Lithgow. Posing oh, you know, as I a... still haven't seen that. I've uh, got to okay. see that movie. Yeah. Oops, sorry to give that away to you. Uh, That's all right. I'll forget by the time I see it. So that pops in my head. And then, well, of course, I guess the crying game, which. Right. That's that's an obvious one. Yeah. And then I'm going with, uh, yeah, I got to throw Ace Ventura, Pet Tech, Pet Tech, oh, yeah. yes. which is not not PC at all. It doesn't hold that aspect of it doesn't quite hold up these days. But mm. yeah, I'm sure there's more out there. But I was just, didn't know if you had any out the top of your hem, head. Can't speak all of a sudden here. Hey. Bill Bant. This yes. movie has really thrown me for a loop. It's going to stay with me for a long time. What horror film stays with you the most and for what reason? Ooh. I'll be more succinct or more specific. What 80s horror film stays with you, has stayed with you over the years? And like for a, what reason? Like in a good way or? I would say more in a effective in the horror as like a disturbing way as in it it's either scared the hell out of you or bothered you in some way scared the hell out of me which is kind of weird because it's kind of a comedy too and we will be doing a future podcast on it is american werewolf in london sure i think poltergeist is probably the one great call sure horror movie i've probably seen more than any other from the 80s 
And I love the second one too, even though it's not good. Just the the main character from that, the oh the yeah, evil the preacher. I love. Oh like, yeah, like I yeah, I'll do his voice around Hillary, and it freaks her out. And she's like, "Don't, don't do that, please." I I hate when you do that, but I love him. Do it, um, do it, do it. Hey, little girl, are you lost? Do you want me to sing you a song? <laughs> You take my hand. God is in his holy temple. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Ah, oh, gotta get the best. <laughs> impersonations are the best. Fucking classic. That's great. That sounds just like him. He is creepy, man. Yes, All right. he is creepy. He was an episode of Miami Vice. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was yeah, in there's the... There's our Miami Vice shout out. Yep. So he was in the season two premiere. Uh, Poltergeist is a great call. That one stays with me. That or it stayed with me for a long time. Yeah. Uh, the other one I can think of off the top of my head is uh, the Hitcher. Ah, yeah. Uh, that's one that really that messed me up, man. I I still am bothered by that movie. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's one scene in particular. It just it's. Yeah, I've heard of the scene. I uh, yeah, I don't know. Just wish I'd never seen it. And you don't even it's you don't even actually see it. It's even it's kind of worse the way that it's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's there's some you know, and I have to say I'll just again say again I, I'm glad I didn't see this movie as a kid because this would have I don't know what would have happened to me as a kid after this after I had you know had I seen it. Yeah, it definitely would have been confusing. I would just I would have I really had to talk about it with some people. Mm-hmm. Still be talking about it in therapy today. I was trying to think about this too. If I ever watched a movie where the first couple of minutes, I was just like, Oh, I don't want to watch the rest of this. And then really got into it. Like I've seen movies where the opening's really good. And then it peters out. Right. But this is the first time I can't remember ever watching a movie in the beginning. I'm just like, Oh man, thank God this is short. I don't want to watch the rest of this. And then I was like, Oh, I'm really getting into this now. It's inexplicable. The opening that cold of that water tragedy the boating accident is not well executed. No, no that's why I was kind of like the act, ah. the cuts, like the editing, and that girl screaming, like it oh, she was so her reaction, fucking annoying, and she's so over the top. It's hilarious. I still just love it. She's like, oh, my God. Oh, somebody help that. And the way it's cut, it's awkward. It's a weird thing, but then when, like you said, and then it goes to Aunt Martha in the house, and you're like, oh my God, is this movie just going to be super camp? Yeah. What Over happened to the, the two kids in the boat? Oh, yeah, right. I don't know. Like the boat disappeared. It like jumped off. Yeah, it's a lifeguard and her girlfriend or something, yeah. and they've just gone. But it's a weird, weird setup. And then you're like, oh, 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 no. And then, yeah, it kind of strangely makes sense. I don't know. Did you have any other additional thoughts or questions before we? That was really it. I just yeah. can't remember ever That's watching a, great a call. movie where I got into it when I was really like, oh, I just want to get this done with and just do this show and just move on to the next movie. I'm just, oh my God, I actually think I like this. I thought you and I were going to argue about this because I thought for sure I'm like, oh, Jason's going to hate this and he's going to think I'm crazy for trying to defend it. And then you come on saying you like it. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, I really thought we would be bigger in this. I episode. loved it. I loved it. This is going down for me as one of the greats. I, I'm sorry. It's just that weird. Like it, it, it's strangely effective. Yeah, I need to watch the other ones just to see 
what goes on. And then, yeah, supposedly in the second one, it's it's Bruce Springsteen's sister who plays Angela. What? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. I know. Well, just another reason to see it. Mm-hmm. That's a good call because I could, hey, tweet us, email us, whatever, message us. Tell us if you shut this movie off in the first five minutes, never saw the rest of it. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have done that. Yeah. So I say you got to, you got to power through those first eight minutes. Yeah. And, and then it's okay. And then, like I said, you just, I can't believe I just kept going back to that Martha scene. I just kept watching it over and over again. Well, that's the thing is that then you'll want to go back to those first eight, 10, 15 minutes mm-hmm. to kind of review it and be like, wait, was this kind of, was this actually set up? And it's, and I, I'm telling you, look in it, yeah. look, look into it. Are you ready to, to move to the conclusion then here tonight? Yeah, Bill? let's do it. So yeah, that, I mean, well, maybe, maybe that was a conclusion. I mean, is this one of the best or worst horror films I've ever seen? Can it be both? I say yes. And for that reason, it's great. So I guess it's more, I'm just leaning towards more of one of the best. I don't know it because I'm so, it confused me, but I keep saying strangely effective because I don't know why it was as effective as it was. It's different, I guess. So strange. So they really went for it. I guess I, I kind of, in retrospect, admire some of the risks this movie kind of takes with some of the overtness of uh, sexuality, identity, questions and confusion by the characters, the plot twist, the reveal. It's fearless in a way it's campy. It's so campy in parts and you got fake mustaches and over use of reaction shots. And I don't, it's just then at the end, I'm like, man, this is great. Why am I? So uh, I would recommend it. I heavily recommend it. It's not for the uh, week of heart or, um, I don't know if I might even say that right. Uh, you got to have a strong stomach for some of it. It's mm-hmm. it's gory in, in moments and it's extremely violent. And just the theme, some of the themes are really dark. Like we mentioned, they're, they're talking about there's some dark stuff happening in this movie, you know, because we're talking about this. There's kids in this movie. So just be ready for that. But also know that we're talking about a horror film from 1983. So just be aware. That's all I'm saying. It will change you. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. so I'm going to end with. It changed me. It will change you. Sleep away, Cam. For a horror movie, it's eh. But for a slasher movie, I really did enjoy it. I can't believe it. I was pleasantly surprised. And yeah. if you're into, yeah, if you're into the Friday the 13th, Michael Myers stuff, I would say give this a shot. Yeah, Angela might become one of your new yes i mean you, when we talk angela should be in that conversation i really think so too um because she definitely moves on to the other movies and does a lot more killings so yeah she, she should be put in that lexicon of slashers great slashers from the 80s i think i like it i'm surprised it's not more talked about i know just in the popular culture discussion of classic horror movies or cult favorite horror films i suppose i let me correct that sleepaway camp is definitely in the cult horror conversation that's why we're doing it Mm -hmm. but so that's 
dumb thing for me to say, but you know what I mean? Like it just, there's so many, I guess maybe because the genre is overloaded with so many cult classics. Correct. But yeah, this was not a movie that was ever talked in my, any of my circles. It was always Friday the 13th. But yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Halloween. Yep. Amityville horror. Even. Yeah. Exorcist. And you have your top five, 10, you know, you just go through them. Sleepaway camp. But this is, this one, it got me, man. I, I'm, I'm just totally shocked. And this, ah, this movie works somehow. I don't get it. Yeah. I'm stunned. I'm stunned. left exasperated. This a, yeah. This was a surprise. Hey, Bill Bant. Yeah. Do we have to give all credit to the program director? Yeah, we might have to. The one and only Hillary Bant. Yeah. She's the one that said, oh, maybe you should try doing sleepaway camp. And it was funny too, because when we were watching it, she was like, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, one, she's the one that recommended it. Yeah. She's, and, making, she's you gotta do this move. Cause I, I literally said in the beginning, I'm like, what the fuck are you making me watch? And she's like, <laughs> she's like, Oh, I don't, I didn't, I didn't remember this. And then like, we both started getting into it. And I was like, oh. that's amazing. <laughs> that's great. Because I'm literally watching the movie going, Oh my God. I I see why Hillary thinks this is such a cult classic. Like why it's one of uh-huh. her favorites that this is such a crazy freaking movie. Mm-hmm. Ah. And then you're telling me, Oh, she, yeah, she's watching. I don't remember it. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember any of this, <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah, we'll be watching the other ones. Thank you, Hillary. Thank you so much. Oh man. All right. So uh, I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening to our second podcast for splatter cinema month. Next week, we will be discussing 1987's horror comedy, evil dead Two: dead by dawn starring Can't Bruce wait. Campbell. And oh Sarah yeah. Barry. as always, please subscribe, give us a review and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook at all80smoviespodcast or tweet us at podcastall80s. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world. No one's impressed. I'm impressed, Bill.